That's why we're here this morning. Hopefully that's why you're here this morning. Be more and more like his son each day. And this morning we're going to look at an aspect of his son, boldness of Jesus. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, the first scripture I'm going to be at is in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Before I get started completely, I want to let you know too that I'm going to be gone for the next couple weeks. I'm going to be in the Philippines for the next couple weeks. We've been trying to get this together and I'm going to leave the 16th of this week, Friday, and be back on the 28th of the month. And my brother Darren has volunteered to preach those two Sundays while I'm gone, so I appreciate brother Darren for doing that for us. And I look forward to going, and I look forward to coming home, because I can't stand airplane flights. I really don't like them. That's a long one. Yeah. Both ways. Yeah. There's no shortcut. I, I don't, I, I'm not worried about anything in the world except for airplanes. I hate airplanes. Hate them. <laughs> There's no small accidents up there. You don't get to pull over, you know. It's just, and they don't pass out parachutes as you're getting on. It's just. I wouldn't mind jumping out if, if we needed to, but not, the, not an option. Take your own. Yeah, there you go. Take my own. Take your own. <laughs> Take my own and sit next to an exit. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I won't make it to the flight if I take my own, probably. I no. <laughs> wonder what I'm doing. <laughs> ah, anyway, I'm, I'm, I am looking forward to going. I'm looking forward to seeing Emilio and what he does over there and how he does it and what a normal day looks like for him. It'll be interesting to see to follow along with him on his travels from day to day there. Uh, so, looking forward to going, and would appreciate your prayers as I'm going and as I'm there. So today, we're talking about boldness. The text was in Ephesians, but we're going to look at a couple other things before we get back to Ephesians, because Jesus is bold, and I think he was known for his boldness. He was a humble man, but at the same time, he was a bold man. He was humble and bold, a very... A good mixture of what I should be, what you should be. Humble and yet bold at the same time. Mark chapter 5, 1 through 6. I look at this section of scripture and I see a bold Jesus. And I wonder when I, when I read this, I ask myself some questions. 1 through 6, let me read it for you. It says, And they came to the other side of the sea in the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Consistently, or constantly, excuse me, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gnashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up, bowed down before him. I asked myself the question in those first six verses, what if I had landed on that, that shore and I saw that guy running up to me? Amen. What would I have done? <laughs> Jump back in the boat and <laughs> paddle away as fast as I possibly could? Maybe. I don't know. I, it, it, I've never had anybody in this condition run up to me. But, you know, sometimes, even on Sunday mornings, there are people that I might not want to uh, engage with, I might want to avoid. And that confrontation can't be hardly as bad as this confrontation. Yet, I find myself in, in less condition saying, you know what, I don't want to engage you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bold enough to, to engage you here. Jesus here is bold enough to engage this man 
who is breaking chains, is breaking these things, and is stronger than anybody around. They can't even subdue him. He's fearless in a way. Go over to Mark chapter 12. Not only is he fearless when it comes to demons and it comes to things that might scare normal people. Mark chapter 12, we see that he's also fearless when it comes to dealing with people who want to do him harm, are looking to do him harm, are wanting to trip him up, are wanting to destroy him. Mark chapter 12, 13 through 14. And you could go back and get some more of that too because he's talking about a parable there. And, and then in verse 12, they're seeking to seize him, but they don't. But look at verse 13. They sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. But teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? We're just making up a question to try and trap you. That it doesn't even matter what they're asking at that point. They're only there to trap Jesus, to grab him in something, so that they can get him. It's the only reason they're there. And Jesus knows that. And yet he boldly faces these people who would like to destroy him, who would like to ruin him, who would like to trap him and hurt him. He faithfully does that, and he, and he boldly does that, he lives this, this life of courage, this life of boldness. He confronted demons. He confronted people who wanted him dead. He even boldly faced his own death. I don't know about you, but I don't have, I don't entertain thoughts of marching to my own death. But I have asked myself that same question. Would I do the same thing? Would I, or would, do I put up a fight? Do I say, no, you guys are being unfair. I didn't do any of that stuff. Jesus boldly faced his own death, boldly faced these people, boldly faced all of these things. And what Jesus does in that bold life is he inspires boldness in others. He inspires his disciples to be bold. Now you see that wavering throughout the Gospels, but it really takes hold after the resurrection, after the Spirit comes. You see that boldness that they have that changes their life, and it can change our life too. But that boldness is from Jesus himself. That boldness is from his spirit. It's not from within our own selves. In fact, Jesus didn't live an ordinary life, did he? He lived a very unordinary life. Not ordinary at all. He might have been humble, but he's not ordinary. Definitely not ordinary. He destroyed the power of illness. He destroyed the power of demons. He destroyed the power. He prevailed over the power of nature. Even so much that the disciples themselves marveled at this guy. Who is this guy who can control these things? Who is this bold man who can do these things? His boldness was on full display over there in Luke too. Look at Luke chapter 4. Here he sits down and he reads, or he reads something. And it's boldness on display in the announcement of his mission on this earth. In the announcement of his ministry on this earth. Chapter 4, starting in verse 17. It says, And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. 
And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you, in truth, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came all over, over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And all in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they, and they rose up, cast him out of the city, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. There's a lot of boldness in there. There's a lot of boldness in this Jesus Christ who is saying, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is what I'm here to do. Announcing his ministry on earth, that he's going to heal the sick, he's going to give sight to the blind, he's going to do all of these things. This holistic ministry that he's coming to do. There's a lot of boldness here. He came to put things back in order. He came to right the wrong. He came to show us what real life really looks like. He came to show us how to live a bold life for God. And he's saying, this is what I'm going to do. And what do they do for that? They say, I don't like what you're saying. Let's take care of him. Let's kill him. It's amazing, isn't it? It's an amazing turn of events as the creator comes to the earth. And the created says, we don't like you. We don't want you. You're not what we wanted. You're not what we expected. We're done. And yet the creator is bold enough to say, I'm here to do my mission. You're not going to deter me. I came to put things back in order. I came to show you how to live a bold life for God. I came to show you what a bold life looks like for God. When, you, when you're thinking about that place where, you, where you're coming up to the shore and there's this demon coming out and running out and, and greeting you, I do ask myself that question. What would I do? How bold would I be for Christ? I'm sure you've had those points in your life where you get to prove how bold you are for Christ. I'm sure you've come to those points in your life where you don't prove how bold you are for Christ and remember that. And you know, I had a chance to be bold for Christ and yet I didn't. I let that opportunity slip by. Whether it was because my eyes weren't open, I wasn't paying attention, or it was because I, I saw the opportunity, but I was afraid of that guy running at me like a crazy man. And I ran away. I've had those moments in my life. Maybe you've had them too. And Jesus comes and shows us how to be bold. But what I find fascinating about boldness is I think it works both ways. I think we can be bold for Christ. But we can also be bold the opposite way. I want to introduce you to somebody. I want to show you somebody here. This is man's boldness. You see that person there? That person is now that person. 
that young lady is now a quote-unquote man. And I'm sure you, I cannot remember the name of this. I should have wrote his name down, her name down. Uh, but uh, I'm sure you've seen it on, on the story, on, on the TV, on the news. Make pregnant man, first pregnant man. Which is not a pregnant man at all. It's a pregnant woman. That's bold. But when I think of that, I don't think of boldness for Christ. What, what kind of bold is that? Well, that, that's thumbing your nose at God is what that is. That's boldness, the opposite direction. God, I know you made me a, um, a girl, but I, I'm, I'm a man. Here's another one from Oregon. Another person who has decided that what God created is going to be changed. Now, I use those examples because they were fresh on my mind when I was thinking about this sermon this week and thinking about boldness and thinking about the audacity of man to think that we can change what God has made. The audacity of man to think that we can call what is sin normal. We can call sin okay. The audacity of man to say that I'm, I'm, I'm bold enough to, to thumb my nose at the Almighty and say, I don't like the way you did things. I'm doing things the opposite way. That's exactly what they did there in Luke chapter 4. They don't like what Jesus said. They're thumbing their nose at God. They may not completely understand what they're doing, but they are definitely doing that. That's what the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes did. That's what they did. That's what we do today. In a different fashion, maybe perhaps we do this a different way, but this is that boldness that works the opposite way. In fact, go over to Romans chapter 1 and look at boldness. Look at man's boldness versus God's boldness. The boldness that we should have versus the boldness that, that comes from a false bravado that we know best, that we are in control of our, our destiny, that we are in control of our fate, that we know what's right. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, all the way to the end of that chapter, describes man's descent into this boldness that, that we're going to now say, this is right. We're going to say that sin is not sin. We're going to say... That the world is turned upside down. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. That word there, fools, is moron. Professing to be wise, they became morons. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They changed the very object of worship here. Instead of looking to the Creator, and they now said... That's not good enough. We're going to make something to worship ourselves and worship the created. Therefore, God gave them over in their lust to the, in their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the create, creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason... God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. 
And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to, the, to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, here's, here's where it all comes down. It, it starts back there with exchanging this lie that we can, we can worship the creature rather than the, the creator. And it ends in 32 where he says, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. I picked this example simply because it's, it's definitely something that we will be dealing with in the future, more and more. And we will be told that we are to treat these individuals as women when they're men. I, I'm not going to do that. They're men. They're men who have lost their way. They're men who are, who are in, a, in a state of sin and they need God. They need Christ. I'm not going to hate them. I'm not going to hurt them. I will love them. But I will not join in the lie that the world is buying into. I will not be bold and say these people are these people and, and they are who they say they are. I will be bold for Christ and say no. They are not. This is what it is. This is the truth. This is reality. That's what Jesus did. He said no this is true. This is, not, this is the truth. The Pharisees, the Sadducees want to have their own truth. The scribes want to have their own truth. But Jesus says, no, that's not the truth. This is the truth. This is the same thing for us. This is the truth. We need to be bold. I want to share some of that boldness of the scribes and the Pharisees with you. I want you to go over to Matthew chapter 23. And see the boldness that, that they had versus the boldness that Jesus has as it butts heads in Matthew chapter 23. He describes bold people here. He says, at the very beginning of that, that chapter, 23, he says, Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. They're hypocrites. They're hypocrites. They act like hypocrites. They say, but they don't do. Don't be like them, Jesus says. They're teaching you this. Watch them, but don't be like them. They, they tie up things on your shoulders, but they won't lift a finger. Verse 5, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they're broad, they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. And respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called by men, rabbi. They love to be noticed by men. That's something we talked about, about Jesus' character, that he wasn't here for the praise of men. He was here for God's glory. Men should be praising him. He's not worried about the praise of men, and these men are worried about the praise of men. And Jesus is saying, that's the wrong kind of bold. You want to be bold and worry about the praise of men, then you're going to get all the glory you get right here and right now. And you're going to miss the real glory. The real glory is the praise of God. Look at verse 13. 
But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. You shut off the kingdom. You're shutting off the kingdom to men. And you yourselves, you're going to miss it yourselves. You don't understand what you're doing. Look at verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. <clears throat> but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated. Boldly being dishonest in your words. Boldly saying, well, I didn't promise that. I didn't swear by that, so you can't hold me to it. I swore by that, so I, I'm not as hold. Uh, you can't hold me to that. Boldly deciding to not be honest with people. Look at verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Boy, the weightier things of the law are, are missing out, and they're, ma- like I've heard many, many times, majoring in the minors, right? They're just majoring in the minors, and they're missing out on the bigger things. Look at verse 29. <coughs> verse 29. <clears throat> Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. Consequently, you bear witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? Bold. Bold to say, we wouldn't have done that if we were there. And yet, what are they going to turn around and do? They're going to kill Jesus Christ. They're going to nail him to a cross. Uh, We wouldn't have done that. Oh, Jesus knows. He knows what you would have done. He knows what you are, going to, you are about to do. You are bold. You are bold in the wrong direction. You are bold in the outside of the cup, while the inside of the cup is full of dead men's bones. You're bold, but you're bold in the negative things here. So I want to share with you a couple of things that are necessary, I think, for boldness in our life as Christians. If we are to be bold like Christ, not being bold like men, not hypocrites, not wanting the love and the praise of men, but wanting to please our Heavenly Father and be more like Christ each day. Mark chapter 11. One of the first things... Excuse me. One of the first things that we look at as necessary for boldness in a Christian's life. Chapter 11 of Mark. Sorry, in verse 22. Man, excuse me. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it shall be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. Power of faith. There, There is a faith element here in our boldness. Have faith in God. Where is our faith? In what we can do or in what God can do? Our faith is, should be in what God can do. Are we bold in that faith? Are we bold in the, in the power of prayer? Are we bold in praying to our Heavenly Father and asking Him? Look at verse 20, uh, 20, 25. Whoever, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your transgression. Here's another bold aspect of our living. Boldly forgiving. I've been forgiven. 
I need to boldly forgive other people. That does take some boldness sometimes. I got to step out. I got to be courageous in my, in my forgiving. It's so easy not to be bold in that. But I need to remember what I have been. I need to remember who I am dealing with. And I need to remember that my Heavenly Father is going to forgive me just like I've forgiven my brother or my sister. I need to be bold in that. Go over to Ephesians chapter 6. Now we're back to the scripture that was read earlier. Ephesians chapter 6. Here, what are we supposed to be bold in? The armor of God? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Here's the purpose he's saying. Be strong in the Lord. This is what he wants you to do. Be strong in the Lord and be strong in the strength of his might. And here's the purpose of that. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. A bold life is a life that is able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. But how do we do that? We put on the full armor of God and we're strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not my might, but his might. Like he reminds us in verse 12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's the rulers against the powers, all of these things. Therefore, in verse 13, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day. Having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, taking up the shield of faith which, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Get those Roman shields together that lock together. Get those Roman sandals on that have those those spikes in them that dig into the ground. Stand firm in your faith with the armor of God on. Stand firm in His strength, not your own. Hebrews chapter 6, another element of boldness. If we're strong in our faith and in prayer, we're strong in forgiveness, we're bold in our forgiveness. If we're, being, <clears throat> if we're putting on the full armor of God and we're being strong in His might and His power. Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 20. Here again is another element of boldness. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying... I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And thus, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to be heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, in order that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement We who have fled for refuge and laying hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. Where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Here, I see it as a necessity of boldness. We have our hope placed firmly in him because God's promises are absolutely reliable. 
that God can be absolutely trusted to do exactly what he said he will do. By two unchangeable things, God is not going to lie. We can have strong encouragement and take hold of that hope that is set before us, that hope that is that anchor in verse 19, that hope that is entered within the veil, that Jesus Christ that is that forerunner for us. We have that hope. That's a boldness. That's a necessity for boldness. If I don't have that hope, I am not going to be bold for Christ. If I don't have that hope, if I am not convinced of this hope, I'm not going to stand up against the things that the world calls good and yet is not good. They call not evil, which is actually evil. Go over to 1 John chapter 4. Here again is another necessity of hope. Seventeen through nineteen is the scripture I'm going to read to you. But you can go back up in there, and you can see, I think, what this section here, seven through the end of this chapter, really talks about God's direction of love, how His love is directed towards us, the intention of His love for us, the perfection of love within us. All of these things in here, and then it gets down to verse seventeen. He says, by this, love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen... Cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. A necessity for boldness here is this love that casts out fear. If we have this love, if if this has been perfected with us, in us, and we have this confidence, we can say, I'm confident that in the day of judgment, God is going to do what he says he's going to do. It goes back to that hope that we have set in Christ in Hebrews that God, Jesus, is our forerunner. He has shed his blood for us. We don't have to worry. I can be bold saying, I'm looking forward to the day of judgment. I'm looking forward to going home. I'm looking forward to meeting my maker because I know that he will do what he says he will do. I know that he says, you are forgiven. I believe him and I'm ready to meet my maker. I'm ready. That's that bold living for Jesus, or we could live like the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. We can live for the approval of men. We can live for this world and say, yes, no matter what you say, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And not call sin, sin. Or we can be bold for God. We can live a bold life for Jesus, a bold life in prayer, a bold life through forgiving, a bold life with our armor on, a bold life because God's promises are absolutely reliable And a bold life because God has loved us and because we know he loves us, because we know he sent his son, we don't have to fear. We know that God has ultimate control over everything. But that requires me to realize that bold living is not through my own power, doesn't it? It's not through my power. It's not through your power. It's through Jesus Christ himself that this bold living comes. We're living a bold life through Jesus. It's not just about managing my own sin. It's not just about me doing something that that, that is... For myself, that, that 
that stops me from sinning, that, that I can try harder not to sin. No, it's, it's actually me laying down what I am and saying, I can only do it through Christ. I can only be bold through you. It doesn't mean I can do it better. It means that I can do it through you. I can do it through Jesus Christ. We have to live a bold life through him. In fact, I'm, I'm, I was reminded of that yesterday when I went to the funeral. Uh, I can't remember the brother's last name. Christopher Galloway. Galloway. Thank you. I was reminded of that yesterday because everybody that was getting up and talking about him, even though I, I never, I don't think I've ever met the man, that was a bold life for Christ. Every, everybody that talked about him, he was a bold man for Christ. He was not ashamed of his, of his Savior. He let people know. He lived a life that said, I am a Christian. I am a Christ follower. In fact, when I, when I was thinking about my sermon today, yesterday, I can't, and I can't remember. I should have wrote it down. I, I tried to get my phone out, but I don't have my old phone. And my new phone is a little hard to get back to the same apps that I used to have. So I didn't get it written down. But somebody, Darren or, or you guys, can help me fill, fill in the blank. When he said about, if you want to go to hell, what did he say? Take off the brakes and what? Free wheel on in. Is that it? If you want to go to hell, take off the brakes and free wheel on in. And that, that's bold. But that's where a lot of the world is, isn't it? That's where a lot of people are at. They, they do. Maybe they don't even understand they're going to hell. But the brakes are not working. And they're free wheeling right into hell. And I, I, I don't know the man. And I, I, I could only guess why he said that exactly. But I'm thinking he's saying, you've got to make a choice here. You've got to make a choice between right and wrong. God's way and man's way. And if you want to take man's way, well, then take it and take off the brace and just go for it, which is exactly what I've said something similar. If if this stuff is not real, then I'm wasting my time here Sunday mornings. I'm wasting my time here Wednesday nights. If Christ isn't Christ, then I don't need to be here. But I believe he is. I believe there is a God. I believe there is a right and wrong. I believe there is a bold way to live for Christ. But if you want to go to hell, like he says, you take off those brakes and you free wheel, free wheel right into hell. And some people are making that bold choice today. But I don't want to make that bold choice. I don't want you to make that bold choice. I want to make a bold choice to live for Christ. But to make that bold choice, we've got to admit something to ourselves. That we are not able to save ourselves. That we're not able to, to make things right by myself. I can't do it. I have to put my faith in Christ. In his sacrifice, i got to boldly let God take care of my sin problem. i got to boldly step forward and say, I believe what you said. I believe that when I repent of my sins, when I have those sins washed away, when I rise to that new life in Christ, that you've taken care of that problem. And I don't have to worry about it anymore. I have to boldly believe that. And then I have to boldly leave that, live that new life. Just like Jesus showed me, to boldly live this new life, this bold prayer. This bold forgiving one another. This bold living a new life in Christ with that full armor of God. Trusting in his promises. Knowing that what he says is true. That's a bold life. And in this world today, it may get bolder and bolder, in the world's eyes at least, to say there is a right and there is a wrong. There is a God and there is a Satan. And you get to choose sides. And... One of these days, we're going to have to make that choice publicly, probably. As for me and my house, what will we do? 
Serve the Lord. Joshua gave that choice to the people. Similar thing again. You want to be bold for those gods over there? The gods of your fathers? Or do you want to be bold for Christ? Which one? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's your choice today. Are you going to be bold for God? Are you going to be bold for Christ? Or are you going to be bold for the world? He's waiting for your choice. There is a choice to make. There is a hell to go. If you want to go. But Jesus said the devil or the hell, hell was created for the devil and his angels. I'm not so sure he created it for us. He doesn't want us to go. He desires all men should come to him. All men should learn the truth. All men should be saved. That's your choice today. You're going to be bold for Christ or you're going to be bold for the world. Make that choice today as we stand and as we sing.